Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, come on, you know by now you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We've got a really interesting show for you. The buzz is from, I found a website, learn.g2crowd.com, talking about 2019 HR trends. There's a clue, and here's the quote. The global human resource management sector, that's HRM, is projected to reach $30 billion by 2025. In other words, the business of creating innovative HR solutions is booming. There you go. So what are we talking about today? Well, let's take a look back to the year 2016. My colleague at SAP, Dr. Stephen Hunt, was thinking, what is he going to do with all of these HCM, HR forecasts that are coming? There are predictions, trends, forecasts, just coming up and down all year long, talking about what the future is bringing for this booming industry, as we know. And he decided, how is he going to put these all together and make some sense out of them? So he worked with a lady named Lauren Bidwell, and together they created the Wine Bottle Index. Now, you know, on all of these Game Changer shows, I ask my guests, what's your favorite drink? What's in your cup? And we often have people suggesting very interesting wines from all over the world. Well, this is not going to be a wine show today, but we're talking about the Wine Bottle Index. So Steve Hunt is on with me, and he He's going to be speaking with two HCM experts he invited to talk about what's going on in HCM. And let me just give you a little idea of this categorization. Okay, are these well-established or novel HCM challenges that are being addressed by whatever somebody's proposing? So that would be old versus new wine. Or are they using familiar or innovative solutions, which would be old versus new bottles, or not. It's a very interesting concept, and Steve is going to explain it to us in just a few minutes. So I was going to say, like I do on my TV show, whatever this means to you, this is something to talk about. And it is. Our topic today is HCM Trends, the Wine Bottle Index. So saddle up, and let me tell you who my three experts are. Dr. Steve Hunt, I'll have him on in a second. He is an HCM consultant and author. Very, very happy to have him with us. Joining him is Stacia Gar, co-founder and principal analyst of Red Thread. That's one word research. Happy to have her on the show. And rounding out the panel is David Yousefnia. I'll spell that in case you want to look him up. Y-O-U-S-S-E-F-N-I-A. Co-founder of a company called Uplevel, just the way it sounds. So welcome to our esteemed panelists. Steve Hunt is up first, and Steve has sent me a quote from Anonymous. And Steve, I researched the quote, and it looks like some anonymous philosopher in New Zealand said this at some time in history. That's all I could find. I never allow anonymous quotes, Steve, but you're so important to this topic, I said, we'll, we'll raise a glass and we'll, we'll give him a pass on this. So here's the quote. Everybody listen up. This is a really cool quotable quote. The future looks a lot like the past, but different. Steve Hunt, how have you been? Welcome back. Good, good, Bonnie. Yeah, and I was joking about um, what's in my glass this morning. I say it's not Pinot Noir, but it feels like it should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the quote. <laughs> yeah, the um, yeah, really, this came. I mean, this kind of gets to the root of the wine bottle index concept, which was yeah. I every year look at these different trends. And actually, about five years ago, I was asked to write. You know, what are the forecasts? I sat down and wrote kind of my thoughts on what are changing, and I 
we had done a really extensive study like 10 years ago, like time would have been like 2007, where I really dug into what's changing. And I went back and I looked at it and I compared my predictions from 2007 to the ones from like, I think it was 2016. And not just mine, but all the ones out there that I read. And it hadn't changed for the most part. It was just things like, you know, skilled talent is going to be critical. We're going to have to find ways to do better team management. We have to engage employees. And I'm like, it's the same problems. And that kind of inspired me. I said, well, the problems tend to stay the same in human resources. What does change are the solutions we use to address them. And that kind of prompted this whole idea of like, well, it's old wine, but at least the bottle is new. Very interesting. You know, so many companies, so many people are having the opportunity to private label their wine. Uh, Steve, I had a friend on Long Island who actually was the one who got me started producing my own cable TV shows many years ago. And he still is interviewing authors of various types, very genres of books. And I remember he uh, allied or allied, aligned with a bookstore in Huntington, Long Island. And uh, then they went out to the wineries on Long Island and they presented book talks with the authors. And they private labeled the bottles of wine with a picture of the tie or artwork replicating the cover of the book of the author he was interviewing. And people traveled out to the to the East End to go and hear these authors talk and drink the wine. Interesting concept. Yeah, that is maybe that'll be my next version. I'll do a wine bottle index bottle of there. wine. See, 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 you never know what kinds of ideas you're going to get. Do you you have any idea why this quote is anonymous? It seems to me that somebody should have claimed this by now. Do you want to put your name on this one? The future looks a lot like the past, but different. Because if nobody has claimed it, Steve, maybe it's your time. What do you think? Oh, sure. Yeah, I said it. I don't know if I was the first one to say it, but I said, yeah. And it, you know, I think it's funny when it goes back to, I mean, why is this true, at least in HCM? It's because people don't change that much. Um, you know, yeah. the fundamental psychology of people doesn't, we don't evolve that fast. Despite all these books about millennials and generational differences, the real good research on it says, you know, what makes people happy, what makes people learn, what motivates people, now is the same thing they did 100 years ago. Um, what changes is how people communicate, how we find jobs. But what we're looking for in life, you know, it's the same. And I always sort of joke the reason there's all these books about, you know, millennials is because books called Kids Today are like you were when you were young, but you're old now. You don't sell very well. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I'm moving on to station just a second. Uh, I, my favorite French phrase, which you may have heard me say on the radio, is plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So there's that bottle coming around again on the Lazy Susan. Yes, we've refilled it. Uh, question for you. you. You just mentioned the M word, millennials. Is everything changing in the industry or is anything changing driven by the request or the requirement, the demand, I can put it that strongly, from I'll call them newer entrants into the job market around the world, demanding to be treated differently than just a number on an HR spreadsheet. Is that what's driving these new new wines in maybe the old bottles? It's, it's, well, one, technology is enabling us to do things now we couldn't do before. It wasn't that people didn't want you know social mobile learning 20 years ago. It just wasn't possible. If it had been available, people would have wanted it. Um, you know, so that's part of it is the technology change. And I think the other thing that we just have to be really careful with is this thought that somehow people are different at different, you know, these radically different ages. Because there's one of the things that when I really get frustrated around this millennials 
all this talk is it is creeping ageism, basically. There mm-hmm. is growing and growing focus on, oh, we, we need to engage more millennials versus, you know, other people, and, and somehow, like, they're wired different. What's different is the labor market is different, and so their expectations are different. But I use the example of inclusiveness. I'm pretty certain women in the 1970s were not happy about being paid less than men. I don't think they were like, oh, this is fine. (laughs) But in the 1970s, in the economic situation, they didn't believe they could effectively change it at that time. What's changed is the labor market, societal expectations. So it's not that suddenly millennial women are more concerned with equity than their older generations. It's just that, fortunately, we're in a time where they can get, you know, finally get that inclusiveness. But this idea that somehow... They, it was okay. Wired totally differently. It's it's both wrong and it's very very unhealthy to start labeling whole groups as you're a millennial, therefore you're this, or you're a baby boomer, therefore you're that. When in reality, we're more similar than we are different. Very very well put. And I did have a panel of M people on about two years ago on the show, and they said, "Can we just stop calling us that? We don't want to talk about that. We're people." Let's just say this is yeah, our exactly. demographic cohort, our age group, but stop labeling us. We're not all like what you say we are, but we're getting, we're on the topic and off the topic. Thank you so much for that historical reference. Yes, women were never happy about being paid less. We just had to figure out how to say it and be heard. I'll just leave that one on the table. Thank you, Steve Hunt. Let's move around to our second panelist, Stacia Gar, newcomer to Game Changers, co-founder and principal analyst of Red Thread Research, and we'll find out a little bit later what she does and what her company is. And Stacia sent us a wonderful quote from Mahatma Gandhi, full name Mohandas Karam Chand Gandhi, 1869 to 1948, an Indian activist who was the leader of the Indian independence movement against British colonial rule. Talk about finding your voice. The honorific Mahatma in Sanskrit means high-souled or venerable, first applied to him in 1914 in South Africa and now used worldwide. In India, he's also called Bapu, B-A-P-U, a term that he preferred which means endearment or father papa, and also Gandhi Jai, J-I, father of the nation. So here's the quote Stacia has selected. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. Stacia, welcome. That makes me want to cry. I love this quote. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. How are you, Bonnie? Thank you. Very kind of you to ask. I love the quote. Talk to me. Welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you, and we're going to find out all about what you do later. But for now, how did you pick this quote, and how does it apply to the wine bottle index? Yeah, so I was recently actually at a conference where I was introduced to this quote, and I had the same reaction as you, Bonnie. I I read it, and I was just like, wow. It just feels like it applies to me on a personal level, on a professional level, and I want to use that in anything that I'm talking about. Um, so, so similar reaction. But in terms of how it applies to the, the wine bottle index, you know, I think that I'm, I'm certainly in, in Steve's camp when it comes to looking at all the trends every year and saying, oh, this is just the, the same thing. But at the same time, you know, we all have to kind of have a sense of, of where the market's going, what, what, is, what are the um, pillars, if you will. Uh, Steve mentioned that there's critical talent, you know, talent's always going to be critical or, you know, we are, Mm -hmm. something's always changing. You know, those are kind of pillars of what we always see. But I I think that within those pillars, um, there are things that are changing and and you have to look at it that way. And that's where, for me, this quote speaks to the learn as if you were to live forever is, um, you know, kind of moving towards 
understanding and sifting through what is changing and understanding it on that nuanced level. And even if some things are, are kind of dead or, or continuous concepts, if you will, there is that ever-evolving change that you need to be aware of, and, and you should be learning it, and you should be um, thinking about it and being willing and able to adapt to it on an ongoing basis. So for me, that was kind of this, the way that it applied here to the wine bottle index. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We could also take it to the level of if you really want to have a good glass of wine, you have to you have to learn as if you're going to live forever to see what, what bottle you're going to put on the table next. I, I just love the wine theme. We very rarely get a theme related to the part of the show that says what's in your cup today. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Stacia, we're delighted that you could join us, and we have so much more to learn from you today. So thank you for being on the panel. And now I'm going to move one stop further around the table to David Youssef the co-founder of Uplevel, and we'll find out a little bit later what he does and what Uplevel is. And David has brought us a quote from Guy Kawasaki. We haven't had one of those in a long, long time. Guy Takeo Kawasaki, still with us. I call him a very young man. He was born in 1954. He's younger than me. Is an American marketing specialist, author, and Silicon Valley venture capitalist. Those of you out there who are very, very young, I'm not calling you M people, you may not remember that Guy was one of the Apple employees originally responsible for marketing the Macintosh computer line back in 1984. Yes, there was a year called 1984. He po- Listen to this. I don't know if the panelists know this. Guy Kawasaki popularized the word evangelist in marketing the Mac as an Apple evangelist and the concept of evangelism marketing and technology evangelism, platform evangelism in general. From March 2015 to December 2016, he sat on the Wikimedia Foundation Board of Trustees, which is the operating entity of Wikipedia, and he's the author of The Macintosh Way, The Art of the Start, and Wise Guy 2019. So here is the quote. David, I'll get to it eventually. The quote from Kawasaki is, entrepreneurship is at its best when it alters the future, and it alters the future when it jumps curves. David Yusefnia, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, We're delighted to have you. Go ahead. Recently saw Guy speak at a, an event here in Seattle, um, and he gave us a, a bunch of tips and, and, and uh, ideas. This was one of them that kind of stood out to me, uh, partly because it's a, a way to look at, okay, how do you find that next new wine or new bottles, kind of looking at, at, at curves. But for me personally as an entrepreneur, and someone in the human capital management uh, space, um, you know, our field, I think, is really well-positioned to jump curves. There are new techniques for us to analyze um, data. There are new sources of data for us to analyze, and that there are new and evolving contexts in which and how people are working. So there's, uh, the, the, the opportunity is ripe, I think, for us as a field um, to either harvest uh, the grapes that make new wine uh, or, or uh, um, you know, label those new bottles. Very interesting. Tell me, what was it like hearing him? He's, he's an icon. He's an icon. He's iconic in his field back so far into the, the, the lore, the history of, of the Apple Company and the early Macintoshes. Um, what was he like on stage? It was, it was, he was great. Very engaging, uh, very humorous. He gives, I think, uh, 50 plus keynotes a year, so you know he has to keep it fresh, or else it probably feels pretty rote for him. 
uh, lots of takeaways, but uh, one that I think you um, may or may not realize that you're, you're following is to use a black background in the decks that you use. Um, as a way to make your points, and, and he really emphasizes kind of focusing on uh, the less is more principle in presenting and marketing. So that 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 led to a really um, great uh, uh, session. And and what was interesting is sitting around a table of other uh, folks who all you know you kind of look around. They're all you know pulling out their phones not to check, but they're taking notes as to what he was saying. So I think that's a lot of take home value. Very exciting. And the deck I believe you're referring to is for in order for guests to come on Game Changers Radio with me, I ask them to give me their bio and the quotes that we just are talking about and some discussion statements that are telling me what's on their mind about the topic, things we might discuss during the roundtable. And I changed it to a deck that has a lot of slides with a black background. And that's following some of the SAP color themes. That's interesting. I think there's a template. So uh, the Bravo doesn't go quite to me, but I use it, and I think it's very, right. very attractive and very well, interesting. Some, someone may have seen Guy speak at some point. <laughs> well, and I have to tell you that I'm almost always dressed in a black dress, so there I think it, with, with flaming red hair, so I think the background sets off very, very well. I feel so much more kawasaki now. Thank you very much, David. That was a really good fashion moment there. I appreciate that so much. Let's go back around the table to Steve Hunt. This is the part of the show we call a little bit up close and personal. Love to get to know our panelists better because all we're really doing is having a human conversation with really, really smart people about a topic that we believe is of great interest to help our audience around the world. And there were almost 30,000 of you listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers last month. And for a Niche business show, we think that rocks. So, Steve Hunt, three questions. Where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite something to drink? I'm not going to lead the witness. And number three, what have you been up to professionally since we last spoke? Steve Hunt, go ahead. Yeah, um, I am in Oregon. Uh, My favorite thing, I don't know, probably is an Oregon Pinot Noir. (laughs) Where in Oregon are you, by the way, Steve? Where? I live in Oregon, just uh, in the Willamette Valley. Okay, because I was in Eugene for almost 10 years. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I think you'd mentioned that. Yeah. Okay, all right. And um, what I've been up to, well, um, I always joke, pushing back the frontiers of technology-enabled human resources (laughs) constantly. (laughs) Uh, Mainly that, yeah, focusing on that as sort of the things in this article, talking about, you know, how is technology changing the field of human resources and helping companies change. Thank you very much. And you've written some books on this, correct? Yes, I've written a couple books, and I'm actually trying to get myself inspired to write another one. So Common Sense Talent Management and Hiring Success are the past two books that I've written. The idea of common sense, seriously? You think people are interested in that, Steve? (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I called it common sense because it kind of goes back to this whole theme of this, like, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, Mm -hmm. which is... When I look at effective human resources, it's mainly common sense things done consistently, like, you know, giving people effective feedback. Uh, then there's very clear rules on how to give effective feedback. The problem is people just don't do it consistently or setting clear goals. I mean, if you, then it kind of goes back that the problems in this field do not tend to change because they're about people. But what does change is are the tools that we have available to help solve these problems. Um, I do think there's a problem where sometimes people that think that technology will be a magical solution to a people problem. But, um, you know, one of the things that we can sort of hang our hats on in this field is the fact that people don't change that much. 
Um, so if we really understand people, it will really help us understand the technology better. Very well put. Thank you, Steve. Always delighted to have you on the show. And now let's move over to Stacia Gar. Stacia at Red Thread Research. Stacia, three questions. Where in the world are you calling from today? Number two, what kind of beverage powers you, makes you feel happy or alive or motivated or any or all of the above? And tell us about Red Thread Research. What is it and what do you do? Go ahead. Yeah. So today I am calling in from uh, the Bay Area, so in the Redwood City area. And uh, what powers me for a drink? That's, that's a good one. I actually did choose wine because uh, it is my favorite. It wasn't just because this is the Wine Bottle Index. But um, my favorite is a, a tiny vineyard called Cedarville, which is in the uh, Sierra Nevada foothills. And they have – it's a it's – a, uh, a husband and wife team, both of whom went to UC Davis, and they have a little organic vineyard. And um, they bring you in. They open up a number of bottles, share it with you, tell you about you know the particular year and what made the wine great, and and it's just a, a fantastic experience. A warm, wonderful person, and his and well, two sets of people. And uh, I just love that personal experience when you when you go to a vineyard. And so um, that's my favorite. It's in a in a little uh, area called Fair Play in the Sierra Nevada foothills. And so very, in, very- in terms of what is Red mm-hmm. Red Thread Research. Yeah. Um, Red Thread is a research organization, human capital research organization that my partner Danny Johnson and I started about a year ago. And we focus on talent management, learning, diversity and inclusion and people analytics and the technologies that underlie them. So we uh, do research for both uh, on kind of the practitioner side and then also on the vendor technology side. Thank you very much. I was very intrigued with the way you described the experience at the vineyard. And I think that's really what people are looking for, isn't it, Stacia? They're looking for something that makes them feel like they're real, that somebody cares about them, somebody wants to share some interesting information or an opportunity with them, that you're welcome there. And isn't that really how people want to feel from HR these days? Like you're a person who counts, you have something to contribute yeah. and, and them, they do too. Isn't that really what it comes down to is the experience? I know it's an overused word, but that's what seems to me what <laughs> yeah, the, the I think comment it does. Yeah. yeah. And the relationship, Bonnie. I think it's yeah. also about the relationship. You know, at this point with this uh, with this vineyard, we could call them up and say, Hey, you know, it's we're on their mailing list, but we don't feel like we're just one of thousands on their mailing list. We could call them up and say, Hey, we're coming into town, can we get a personal time? And, you know, they'll open the vineyard whenever it makes sense for them and for us and we can you know, we've brought so many people through and it, and it is now a relationship. It's an experience and a relationship. And I think that does replicate across to our organizations. Thank you very much. All good points. Pleasure to meet you. And now let's move to David Yousefnia at Up Level. And same three questions, David. Where in the world are you? What powers you in your cup? Anything or everything is okay? And what is Up Level? Talk to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bonnie, I'm here in Seattle, Washington. Um, uh, originally from uh, New York, though, but I'm going to uh, hit our 10-year anniversary as, as, as Washingtonians this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, uh, what follows in my cup, uh, uh, it could be wine, is a uh, typical drink would be a double short Americano with uh, an inch of room, <laughs> but I don't take cream, and so I like my oh. coffee stronger than a regular Americano, but weaker than an espresso, and that inch of room <laughs> and being in a short cup helps, but what's really interesting is to observe 
how consistently inconsistent an inch of room is across multiple Starbucks coffee shops and espresso shops here in Seattle. So I guess really? uh, uh, everyone can get a little better at measurement these days. Do you, do you have to explain that to them? Do you explain that to the barista and say, well, no, the one across town gives me a, an inch and an eighth and you gave me three quarters of an eighth less than that barista? Do you have to tell them that, David? No, I, I still have my New York step in me, so I typically grab the coffee and go and then look at it later. <laughs> um, but but it is it is funny, and 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 uh, there is another term out there. I'm sure I should be using to uh, um, get more consistent of a drink. I think it's something like less water. Uh, then, then I guess that's easier to measure than more. In- Interesting. Interesting. Never thought. I'm from New York too, so I'm very intrigued by the way you're you're positioning this very oh, yeah. politely. <laughs> I don't hear an accent. Did you leave it behind, or did you never have it? Uh, it comes out from time to time, maybe after a few glasses of uh, of wine. But um, uh, you know, as I said, that we're hitting ten years here, so I think that the, the Pacific Northwest may be rubbing off on me a little bit. I think I don't think you ever had a New York accent because I would be able to detect it. Trust me. So, what is Uplevel? Yeah. I love the name of your company. What is it? Yeah. So, um, Uplevel is a company, a technology company, I co-founded um, in in June of uh, of 2018. Uh, but just by way of background, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist and spent the last 20 years in consulting. Was at um, a large consulting firm for about six and a half years, and then had my own consulting business about 14 years where we focused a lot on employee engagement, culture, and talent analytics, uh, started to see some of the writing on the wall in the terms of what the future might hold in our space um, and incubated this idea out of a startup studio here in Seattle um, that was uh, funded by one of the large PC firms. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of uh, birthed that idea with a group of uh, um, other entrepreneurs, um, engineers, and uh, data science. Uh, type folks. Uh, the focus of Uplevel is to help engineering teams be more productive. Um, unfortunately, I can't tell you more about that because we're still in private beta, even though we've, uh, re- you know, we've raised uh, uh, some, some financing and we're, we're growing the team and building the product. If you want to learn more about the, the, the private beta opportunity, happy to share more with that uh, with anyone at uplevelteam.com. Uh, but hopefully uh, in the near future, Bonnie, we could share a little bit more about what we're doing. That would be lovely. Let me ask you a question. Seattle, is it an incubator city? Is it becoming a, a high-tech hub? Is it going to be rivaling New York or Chicago or Tel Aviv or Silicon Valley anytime soon? What do you see? I, I think there's a lot here. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of great talent uh, that has um, kind of, uh, uh, grown up or been around or been exposed to some of the leading companies here in the Bay Area. I think it, and, and it, um, if you look at the landscape, a lot of the large Bay Area and um, technology companies are coming here to set up engineering offices. I don't think you can name one that's not here. And we're not just talking about the Facebooks and Googles and uh, Apples of the world. Um, you know, even um, you know, anyone that you can think of is probably having has an engineering office here. Uh, there is a good uh, early stage um, uh, environment here. I think one of the things that some entrepreneurs struggle with is um, access to early stage capital. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that's changing and evolving as um, you know the VC uh, firms here are putting together um, these 
labs and incubators. There are other VC firms that are coming out here and opening up shop. Um, so I think that uh, this is a, a really good place to be. Um, good. You have, thank, uh, thank you very much. Just wanted, yeah. wanted to bring that up because uh, I know our listeners around the world, very many of them are probably interested in startups, a lot of them in thinking, where yeah. can I go? Who are the people I want to relate to? Relationships and experiences, right? Stacia, that's what people are looking for, and money sometimes also. That's not <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's bigger than that, though. We have to go with that. Just to give you all an update, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. I've been here a year and a half. Come from Long Island, New York. I I did live in Eugene, Oregon. I did have relatives in Seattle, very famous family in Seattle, where my in-laws, and uh, I've lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and all over the place. So here I am in Durham and getting used to the fact that on an average day at this time of the year, we have a 40 to 45 degree temperature spread. You can wake up with just above freezing, and then by afternoon, it's 82 degrees, and you're not sure where you are and what to wear. It's very confusing, but the gardens are already blooming and beautiful. I'm not allowed to have caffeine on radio show day. Steve Hunt knows why. I think Station David can imagine. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine, so all I'm allowed to drink is water. I did have a chocolate banana shake before the show, but there's not much caffeine in that. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. And Steve Hunt, I want to have a little sidebar with you uh, when we come back, uh, how you found Lauren Bidwell and how the two of you decided to put the index together. And then I have one of your notes here from your roundtable statements before the show that we're going to talk about. So to our audience, have a break that refreshes, have something interesting to drink, but don't go too far away. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back 90 seconds. You can count them. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. There we are. We're back and we're talking about the Wine Bottle Index. No, we're not drinking on the show today. We're thinking about it, but we're talking about HCM Trends, Translation, Human Capital Management with my three very smart and very interesting guests, Dr. Steve Hunt, author and consultant in the HCM field for many years, Stacia Sherman-Gar, Red Thread Research, and David Yusefnia at Up Level. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. I just want Steve Hunt to talk for a second about his collaborator on the Wine Bottle Index, and then we'll get into one one of our, our topics in your notes, Steve. So you just want to give a shout-out to your co- collaborator on that? Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Lauren Bidwell. Um, Lauren and I have been working on this for a few years. Um, Lauren originally was a grad student and worked with Help Me With This, and now she's a full-time employee at SCP, uh, and we continue to do this. And also her husband, Sam Bidwell, is responsible for the actual graphic, if you go there, the actual wine bottle graphics. Very nice. Nice to give credit where credit. That's part of relationships and experiences. Okay, Steve Hunt told me the following. In his notes, he talked about people are talking about teams and experiences, though they're new, they're not. We've already, I think we've already covered some of that. The HR predictions don't change much because human resources is still about people, and people don't evolve that quickly. Or I think we've covered that. But here's something Steve told me that I think is controversial, provocative, and that's what we want to go to. Imagine a world where everyone knows how much everyone else is paid. And Steve, just let me give you a little sidebar here. I subscribe, I'm not sure why, to CBS On Demand. <laughs> and I wait, oh, I wait, wait, wait patiently and impatiently for the next episodes of The Good Fight, which is the show that was spawned from The Good Wife on CBS for many years. And the latest episode has a a gender and racial equality issue at this law firm that is the subject where where uh, Diane works. That's um, you know who she is. Anyway, the point is that somebody leaks the salaries, and the firm is absolutely instantly almost destroyed with people standing around looking at, wait a minute, did this person of color make less than this person who is not of color? Did this person who is this gender make more than this person of this gender? It is destructive. It's great drama for TV. So, Steve, tell me what this all means to you, and then we'll go around the table and get Stacia's and David's input. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, um, I, this is interesting because this is one of the few things that actually is new wine, um, which mm-hmm. is something that has been growing steadily. It's not a big trend yet, but it's starting to grow, and it's starting to grow very quickly, which is increasingly through, one, through publicly available sites like Glassdoor, PayScale, people are posting their pay, and so it's a lot easier to get data on pay than before. In a lot of countries and in some states, there's growing pressure to, or regulation that requires companies to post their pay, and not just pay, but what's happening, too, is anything companies do with talent management, it also gets spread on social media. So there's much more transparency in what companies are doing. And I will say, on the pay one in particular, there is a, there's something called information asymmetry, which is when one side knows more than another in negotiation. There is a reason mm-hmm. for it. The reason companies don't share their pay, they may say confidentiality, that's not the main reason. It's the main reason is it gives them bargaining power to know mm. something that the employees don't. Um, you know, there are mm. confidentiality issues, obviously, too, but that's probably the primary reason. What I think is interesting is we're moving to a world of full transparency is if companies can explain why they pay some people more than others, people will accept it. If it's based on reasonable, you know, things having to do with business value and all of that. 
The issue that companies fear is, in reality, they cannot explain some of these pay differences in any way that will sound equitable. But, you know, and they show companies that have, and there are about, about, I don't know, the data I've seen is from 10 to 15% of companies have full pay transparency. I've talked to people who work in those companies. They say, yeah, it's kind of an issue when it first happens, but once you figure things out, it just becomes a non-issue. So I think this is a good thing overall, but companies better prepare for it when it happens because it's going to happen whether companies want to or not. Um, It's not in their control. Interesting. Very interesting. Let's go around the table. Stacia Sherman-Gar, I'm using your middle name here, at Red Thread (laughs) Research. Stacia, agree or disagree with Steve? This seems to me like a hot potato. Who's throwing it to where? Yeah, I completely agree. Actually, I was on a panel about a month ago and said the same thing, and it ended up being the most quoted thing off of that panel. What I said was, if if you all think that paid transparency, if people don't know what each other are being paid, you are living in an alternate universe, is actually what I said. And uh, so I vehemently agree with Steve here. One, one thing, though, I want to point out, though, is that this is new or a newer concept within the corporate world, but it's not within government. So we can look and see what our, our government uh, servants who are, are making, not servants in, in the kind of way, in a negative way, but our government employees are making. Um, and so I think that we have something to actually learn from government here in terms of how that process is managed, where that information is shared, and, and the processes that we go through to establish um, our paying mechanisms. Um, you also touched on something that I think is huge here, and that is with regard to diversity and inclusion. So diversity and inclusion is a space that I've been doing a lot of work in, and when we think about uh, the relationship here, we know that this is going to only going to add fire, whether it's around gender or it's around people of different backgrounds. Um, it's going to add fire to the conversation around diversity and inclusion. We, we know from our, our research that a lot of companies are already privately looking into this, looking at the gender pay disparity or, or pay disparity mm-hmm. along other um, measures, but this is something that I think we're going to see a whole lot more of, um, but at least we do have some sort of guidance from our government colleagues in terms of how to, to potentially think about it. Thank you. David Yusefnia, join us. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think um, um, you know, Steve and Stacia, you both kind of hit, 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 uh, hit it right on the head. Um, the transparency is in pay um, is going to happen if it's not happening, and the hard part is explaining um, the why behind the differences in a way that's you know, uh, acceptable right, to people and, and to um, the employer. Uh, the the other aspect of transparency too is just transparency of actions, right? And I think you you start to see um, the 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 workforce mirror what's happening in the consumer world where people are looking for organizations to be transparent with their consumers, and that transparency leaks over to you know in the workplace if you're doing something or not doing something. Um, and so it, I, I do think transparency will be a, a key thing, not just for pay but also the actions of management and, and organizations. Thank you very much. Steve, anything you want to wrap up with us before I move on to a topic from Stacia's list? Yeah, I just think one of the things actually I think is this pay equity is in this sort of like exposure of not just pay, but everything companies are doing internally is one of the reasons why I think this growth and focus on what they call experience management, which is employees mm-hmm. now are sharing the experiences they get from working in a company more widely, which suddenly makes it more important to make sure those experiences are positive. 
Thank you very much. Stacia, moving on to something, let's talk about one of the biggest threats slash fears slash OMGs in the workforce around the world is automation, robotics, AI, machine learning, who is taking over my job, quote unquote. So let me read a little bit from one of your notes here and then let's go around the table with it. This is a very hot topic. You say, well, we may finally be having a more robust conversation about how digitization will augment versus replace workers there is too little discussion about what those workers will be doing instead. I couldn't agree more. Stacia, talk to me. What's behind the statement? And then we'll see what David and Steve have to say. Go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things we've been talking a lot about at our organization is how we're hitting a bit of a wall on efficiency with our workers. So, um, you know, we're, we're our level of productivity in terms of a work produced per hour metric has not been going up significantly since about 2007. And so, you know, if we think about what our people can do, it's not necessarily um, getting more more efficient. Now, the way that historically we've improved it, that type of efficiency has been through technology, and so and that's what we're seeing, right, with the with the automation and augmentation and some of the AI and machine learning that's coming online. It's going to increase. Um, efficiency from that perspective. But what we've been thinking about is if if those workers are only going to be focusing on basically accomplishing the same types of tasks that we've done in the past, we're not really shifting our focus to some of the really thorny problems that we see today in business or even more broad, broadly in, in our environment, et cetera. And so our question is, what are how are we going to help people refocus on some of these really thorny, difficult challenges that we see and not to say, hey, we're going to give you some technology to do your job better, faster. So we think that some of it is a imagination problem, so finding the right type of problems that we should be focused on. And some of it also is a certainly a retraining uh, or a reskilling problem where we're saying, okay, what are the things that we should be encouraging people to learn now that's different um, from what they learned today and maybe different from the, the kind of changes that we've seen in the past? Um, because we do know that there's going to be some pretty significant new challenges that we see in the not-too-distant future, and we need to start thinking about how we're going to address them now. Thank you very much. There's such a fear factor, and I know it's become part of the platform of certain people entering certain political arenas is, well, your job's going away. What are you going to do about it? I'll help you. There's just a, a disparity of, of information and insight into this. It's supposed to be a good thing. David Yousefnia, join us. What are your thoughts on this, digitization and the workforce's opportunity to work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's like are we looking for a problem for technology to solve, or do we, or we have a technology and now we have to find a problem for it to solve it? And I think part of this is, you know, uh, understanding how can employees be more efficient and using digitization to help with that versus creating almost this kind of uh, digital overhead uh, that mm-hmm. people at work might start to experience. Like, part of the reason why um, uh, employees and teams may not be as efficient or not improving their efficiency is that. Think about how many different places you have to go to get your work done these days. Between a chat, text, email, you know, someone mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, physically shoulder tapping you or the digital shoulder tap. Um, all of these things, I think, play a role in uh, potentially making us more efficient, but also potentially making us less efficient. Interesting. Let's go around the table. Dr. Steve Hunt, what do you think? Yeah, I think, David, what you're saying is a really interesting point, which is, you know, it's like... 
Because, I mean, we don't want more technology. It's just more distraction. Um, we want less distraction and technology that decreases that. And I think with Stacia, on your point of efficiency, I think technology, you know, it, technology on one hand, it's creating this need for much more complicated jobs that are more abstract, and it's a real skill shortage. The other thing that it's doing, though, is so you're talking about, like, efficiency, is it's mean that the differentiation for a lot of companies is not about efficiency necessarily. It's mm-hmm. about the experience of working with the company. And, you know, I think of this, I'll use the example of a restaurant. You know, I can go to a restaurant that's 30 minutes in either restaurant. You can both take 30 minutes to get the food, but the experience can be completely different. And what's going to make it different is not about efficiency. It's about the human interaction that you have during that restaurant experience. And so, um, you know, I think one of the things that hopefully we will start seeing, and we, we maybe are starting to see it, is we will start to see more compensation for employees that are exceptionally good at service in large-scale jobs. You know, I, I was really happy to see uh, Amazon Jeff Bezos challenge retail people to match his pay. Um, now, granted, it's, you know, you can argue different things about it. But, you know, retail employees that give really, really good service, it would be nice to see them get compensated more for it. And I think that's one of the things that, as technology automates a lot of these jobs, it's going to be the differentiation is the human element of these jobs. But currently, I don't think we have a good way to measure the value of really good service experiences. And as a result, Mm -hmm. employees don't get compensated who are really good at it. They're just all treated like they're the same. Thank you very much. Stacia, anything you want to add to this conversation? Really good topic. Yeah, I would just um, underscore what Steve, you just said, is in, in the relationship to imagination. So, you know, your point about we could both go to a restaurant and, and you know, get our food. But I think the difference is, is the imagination, what that experience is going to be. So, you know, if I go to the French Laundry, it's going to take me longer than the 30 minutes to, to eat my beautiful uh, series of, of dinner of meals. But mm-hmm. um, somebody's imagined that that's going to be a beautiful experience with amazing service, et cetera. And so, and, and on the other one, if you're just trying to cr- increase efficiency of how fast the food gets delivered, then I'm going to be going to McDonald's. And so we need to kind of envision what is what are the challenges or, or the situation or the experience we're trying to create, and how is that not just a maximum optimization of efficiency, but rather of service or innovation. Thank you very much. Great topic, as I said. I think we can squeeze in one more. Uh, David, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about uh, the, the use of AI in the HR function itself from the inside looking out over the company. You say an AI study recently published highlighted the ability to predict employee attrition with 95% accuracy. The number one AI-based recommendation was to give those at risk more career paths. It feels like we already knew this. I love the POV at the end there. David, can you just give us a minute? We're almost ready for our predictions round, but I want to squeeze this one yeah, in. What's your, yeah, I, mean, go ahead. I, you know, I mentioned earlier I spent the last 20 years helping co- companies understand how engaged their workforce is as well mm-hmm. as what their risk of attrition is. And one of the consistent drivers across both engagement and retention was career growth and development opportunities. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I you know, read through this, uh, this, this study or the summary of the study, and um, Anthony, I was kind of scratching my head for a little bit saying, well, do we really need AI to tell us that? And um, I, you know, I guess you know, my, my response, I guess it would be interesting to hear what um, uh, Steve and Stacia feel, feel about this too, is like, well, we knew this already going into this, but maybe now AI can give us a little more granular detail about who needs what kind of help. But then, you know, thinking about the human side of business too, is this a little 
creepy. You know, say, you know, hello, employee, this is, it uh, looks like our AI, AI analysis thinks you need some mentorship, so here's Bob, your mentor. Like, uh, you know, how do we kind of factor all this in and make, make the most sense of it, um, you know, as uh, human capital professionals? Thank you. Let's quickly go around the table because I'm ready for predictions, but I think this is worthwhile to just take a couple seconds. Steve, quickly, agree or disagree on this concept of knowing enough to be able to predict attrition and do something about it if the if you want the employee to stick around. Steve? Yeah, well, I think what you're saying is the technology needs to create a human interaction. That the technology may identify this attrition, but the person's not going to stay because of AI technology, especially if like a robot boss reaches out to them. I doubt it will be successful. And I think this is kind of one of the big things is when technology tries to act like a human, it tends to really frustrate us. I don't think does anyone like it when you call like an insurance company, you get like a robot phone, hello, you know, and you know it's a robot. Usually not like, yay, that's what I wanted. So I think the whole thing is with this AI, we shouldn't be trying to create, use it to create technology to replace humans. We need to make sure that it makes humans more effective in interacting with other humans, which is a different way of thinking it. But a lot of the technology, it's just done to do cost prediction and try to reduce headcount costs. And I wrote a blog called Stupid, Inefficient, Stupid, Inefficient, and Cruel, which mm. is about this kind of technology, which, you know, it used to be the biggest frustration in our life was other people. Increasingly, the biggest frustration in our life is technology. Mm, don't hold back there, Stephen. Don't don't hold back on, on the on the powerful words. Stacia, thirty second predict, uh, not predictions. Yes, Steve, I'm going to go to you for predictions. Stacia comments on this as AI function for predicting attrition. And Steve, you're up next for a sixty second prediction. Go ahead, Stacia. Yeah. So the the other thing we need to think about here, and we've written a bit about this, is around uh, the potential for bias to be in that AI as well, which mm-hmm. only underscores the need to have humans involved. So, you know, if, if the uh, AI bot is reaching out to uh, to Steve and, and not to me and saying, Steve, you're at risk, you know, and it's not reaching out to me because it says, you know, you're younger than Steve, so you're less likely to leave or, or whatever, um, you know, whatever bias could potentially be in there, um, we as humans need to be on top of that and aware that it could be existing and having and have some insight into it and then to act in a way that that either uh, we're analyzing the tech to get rid of some of that bias or to get rid of as much as possible, or we're at least have processes in place to counteract it um, because we know that the bias exists. We don't have good mechanisms yet to address it. So we need to um, be thinking about that pretty actively as we are rolling out any of this new technology. Thank you very much. I almost sense that might have been a prediction in there. Steve Hunt, 60 se- I have less than 60 seconds, each of you. 45 seconds. Let's do it formally. Crystal ball prediction. Steve Hunt, 45 seconds. What's happening between now and, let's say, 2025? Time of your choice for tri- trends. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the big thing is going to be relationships. Um, you know, work increasingly is about relationships, and companies lack a good way to measure the impact of relationships. You know, the most valuable employees are the people that if you ask in an organization, like there's something called organizational network analysis, which is an interesting method, but it doesn't really scale very well, but gives you a sense of who are the people that have the biggest impact on customers, and it doesn't reflect the org chart. It doesn't reflect formal titles. Yet companies still manage off org charts and spreadsheets, and they lack data on really the impact of people's relationship skills with others. And I think that is going to be the next major leap forward in HCM technology, but no one's done it yet. Thank you. Stacia Gar, 45 seconds. Go. So the next thing that we're going to see is 
a greater focus and a greater ability to actually measure measure skills. So we know that about 50% of the economy is going to be made of contractors or folks in the gig economy. Um, and we know also that people are trying to get a better understanding of the skills of folks who are within their organizations, yet not very many organizations are very effectively measuring skills in a way that gives them the insight they need to potentially move people around or to understand this is who we need to augment the skills that are currently on our team. So I think we're going to see that much a bigger focus, whether it's certification, whether it's better assessments, et cetera, um, as we kind of move forward into a greater gig economy or more of a blended economy where we have employees working with contractors more. Thank you very much, David Yusefni. I've got, ooh, 45 seconds for you. All yours. Go. All right. Well, I think that the current landscape, both regulatory and just um, how people feel about privacy, is going to be one of those um, kind of uh, 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 those jumping phases that we talked about earlier in terms of that quote. And I think my prediction is that we will start to see a shift in data ownership. Um, so from people who the, the data be, is currently owned by people who own the platform, and we might see a shift from that to people who generate the data being able to own and dictate what happens and monetize that data. Thank you very much. Thank you to my three very, very forthcoming and uh, very open and authentic panelists. Appreciate all of the conversation. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been HCM Trends, the Wine Bottle Index. All I'm going to say is raise a glass and drink up. Here's a shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel, and I want to say it's time for our call to action. So here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Dr. Stephen T. Hunt is the full name, HCM consultant and author extraordinaire, I can say. Stacia Sherman Garr, G-A-R-R, if you're looking for her at Red Thread Research, and David Yusefni at Uplevel. Have a great day. There's another show coming up this afternoon at 2 p.m. here. Uh, let's see what today's show is because we pre-recorded it last week. Retail leaders, game-changing retail leaders talking about fresh The last stop in grocery. That's where we want to go. Have a great day, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.